Welcome to the Business Leadership Series, where we engage with leaders who are making an impact on their worlds and who want to share their knowledge and experience for your personal and professional growth. The following interview is designed to inspire you to become the best leader you can be. Your host, Derek Champagne, is the founder and CEO of The Artist Evolution, a full-service agency building successful brands, marketing tools, and campaigns, and also the author of the best-selling book, Don't Buy a Duck. And now, let's begin today's Leadership Series interview. Welcome to the Business Leadership Series, where our goal is to inspire you to become the best leader that you can be. We've got a treat today. We've got Seth Buickley here with us. He's an entrepreneur, a speaker, a leadership and growth coach with a really cool background. Seth, welcome to the program today. Thank you, Derek. I am thrilled to be with you. Hey, there's so many places we could start. I should also mention that you're an author of this really cool book, Ambition, that's endorsed uh, by CEO of Popeyes, by Dan Miller and others. And I uh, really look forward to reading that. It looks like a really powerful book. Well, I'll uh, hopefully uh, get a chance to share a little bit about what the, the backstory was to that that uh, finally got me motivated enough to uh, fulfill that dream of writing a book. So that'll be fun. You, you are Your story is going to speak to a lot of our listeners that are entrepreneurially wired, uh, but we got to start back a little bit younger years for you growing up on a commune uh, and some other interesting things about your past. Why don't you kind of take us through your early years and then you, kind of your, your formidable development into where you are today? Sure. Well, it is uh, it tends to get people's attention when you say that you grew up in a, a commune uh, in the woods. Uh, and then when I say, but I also ended up an entrepreneur and I've, I've started, uh, you know, around a dozen uh, different businesses. And so, uh, you know, everything a life planner would have said, you know, you shouldn't do. I, I for whatever reason, I, you know, I did. So I married, <laughs> I, I married young as a, as a teenager. I skipped college uh, altogether. Uh, I went into a family business startup. And uh, so, you know, none of that, none of that leads you to think, you know, you would end up, you know, being, uh, you know, president of companies and serving on public boards and things. So I, I've, I've been really for, fortunate to have some, uh, some, uh, you know, cool opportunities to pursue, you know, my dreams, uh, you know, but that always comes on the back, on, you know, on the shoulders of other people. Right. So, yeah. And you're being modest about, about your success. You've been a serial entrepreneur with a business founder with several multimillion dollar exits, even a role as the president of solid USA, uh, doing some big things with them. And, uh, to tell us more about, about your, uh, professional development. Sure. Um, you know, I started in a business with my dad, who was a, a very intentional um, mentor and an entrepreneur. And, and he, he kind of hung out a, uh, a challenge to me, uh, which I, I hadn't talked a lot about until recently. And, and he basically said, hey, would you, would you, do you want to go to college, which is fine. I support that. You know, his dad was a professor at Berkeley, um, wow. which, used, which used to be the bastion of free speech, I might add, but I won't get too political. <laughs> um, and then... Um, he said, or would you rather be a, a millionaire by the time you're 25? <laughs> and, mm. and as somebody that was really impatient, you know, just by DNA, uh, you know, I wasn't quote unquote motivated by the money, but I, but I was motivated by, is that even possible? You know, kind of question. Right. And, and I, and I actually believed it, it, it was. And so, um, you know, I had a chance to go into business with my dad and, and, you know, if you skip all the traditional um, institutions of where you gain knowledge that, and you go into work, one of the things I tell people is, you know, you literally start at the bottom. And so I literally started with a shovel, digging ditches and, and pouring concrete and doing the work inside of this, uh, this construction company. But it ended up being a construction company 
that was building uh, the cellular networks, which were very new back in the late 80s and in early 90s. Mm. And so I had a chance to kind of move up in the ranks in the company. So, you, you know, you move from a, a laborer to a foreman to a supervisor. And eventually I, I made it into the office as an estimator. And somewhere along the lines, it was like this great epiphany. I can remember sitting in a duplex in Santa Clara, California, where I had been doing like some cold calls on the phone around prospecting for business. And I just remember thinking, holy cow, this is a lot of fun, you know? And then I, I had this, I had this weird feeling like, dude, you might be a sales guy. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and it was, uh, it was slightly mortifying because of the, you know, the old, the, uh, caricature of a, of a, you know, a car salesman or whatever. <laughs> um, but the, but the reality is I realized, you know, I like, I like influencing, you know, and I'd already been growing, you know, as a leader in a lot of ways. And, and so, you know, I, I was given opportunities to continue to grow inside the family business. And, mm. and then um, and then eventually we grew the business uh, up and down the West Coast. And uh, when I was 27, we sold it to a public company. And uh, I felt pretty strongly that I wanted to be on the board of the public company. And, you know, everybody kind of gave me the look like, you know, keep dreaming, son. And, and I was but I was pretty adamant. And so I ended up having an opportunity to do that. And uh, kind of get exposed to, you know, more sophisticated levels of business. Um, you know, so coming from a commune, working your way up through the ditches, ending up on a public company board at, at 28 years old, you know, I was like, you know, I kind of thought I had the golden touch, to be honest with you. And uh, of course, even though I skipped formal education, there was a lot of education I still needed. And, uh, you know, I got that education, trust me. <laughs> well, tell me, so, I mean, that's, that's not, that's not bad growing up in a commune, breaking all the traditional life planning rules. And at the age of 27, uh, selling a company for 18 million and, and then being on the board for them. That's, that's pretty impressive. So tell me about, walk me through those early days with your dad. What, what kinds of things did he tell you that he teach you that stood with you that really made a difference for you in your growth and being successful? I mean, there's a lot of people that read books about how to be successful and they don't do anything with it. You had an opportunity for a mentor to, to take you under his wing, being your dad. What did you learn? What are some of those things that we want to hear that he taught you? Sure. Well, uh, he was a, a man of action. So hmm. his philosophy was, you know, yeah, you need a plan, but planning is relatively small compared to the going, right? And so now you got to go. And the way that you, he used to call it, you know, you push into something. You, so, you, you know, you have a plan and then you start pushing into it. And then as you experience the challenges and adversities, you see the opportunities and then you eventually figure it out. Um, okay. He loved, he loved the concept of contracting. The thing that, that drove him crazy was to, when somebody tried to move his work into unit pricing, it, it just it took all the all the fun out of it unless uh, unless he could look at a project and say all right it's worth a hundred thousand dollars to you let's negotiate that I'll get it done for a hundred thousand dollars and then I can figure out however the most efficient way to get it done is by starting right and so he loved contracting because you would negotiate a lump sum price and then it was completely up to you to create and to solve the problems around the project and right. so it he uh, he was definitely a man of action. Um, he was he was also somebody that tended to cheer for the underdog. Um, he might have seen himself as an underdog uh, in in life, and so um, he gave people a lot of grace and a lot of opportunity um, to grow. And so I think that was embedded in my 
DNA, which is, yeah, you, you know, you may be the leader, but you should never look down upon somebody else because they haven't had, you know, the opportunities or success that, that you've had and, and to really see, uh, the benefits and the beauty of seeing people grow. And so he was really intentional about that. And, uh, I'm, I'm, I'd hope that I picked up on that well. That's a great example. It's it's one that a lot of entrepreneurs miss. And I talk often to leaders on the show and, and share my own experience of waking up one day and realizing I was leading a group of people. I had the entrepreneurial itch and I loved starting things and creating things, but I didn't intentionally realize I was going to be leading the people like I do today. I, I love that. And so I've had to learn along the way, <laughs> the right way to do things from guys like you. Uh, it's great that you had your dad there teaching that because that's such an important way to build a culture and build a, a team that, that buys into your brand and your vision. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I've had that same moment where you're caught, you know, you have a company meeting at a hotel and everybody's there and you take a look at the org chart and all of a sudden you think, holy cow, that is my, <laughs> that is my name at the top of the org chart. How right. that, you know, and, um, you know, I, I think, I think leaders, driven people suffer on both ends of the spectrum from faulty thinking. And huh. the, the first one that we often talk about is thinking too highly of ourselves, right? Where yeah. we start to be ego driven. It's about title. It's about me. It's about using my position for my agenda. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's pretty obvious. We, we understand that that's, you know, we all have that propensity at times and we have to we have to serve others. Right. Right. Um, but there's the other side of it too, which is, I don't think sometimes we fully appreciate the gifts that we have and how, how we are perceived at, by others as a leader. And we can often think too little of ourselves at the same time. Hmm. And, and neither of those things are accurate, right? Right in the middle of that, the, the, you know, a healthy perspective on, Hey, this is a privilege to lead these people and I'm going to do my best with whatever gifts I have. You know, it's not about me, but it's also not, it's not above me. It's not something that I'm not qualified for just because I have these, you know, occasional feelings of doubt and anxiety. That's, sure. that's, that's, that's actually part of the, part of what keeps us relatively humble, right? Is realizing we need help to, to lead the way that we want to. Yeah, that's great. I, I haven't. I've been so entrenched recently in, in reading books like The Go Giver Leader and and studying yep. servant leadership. But there's the other side of it as well. You're right. We, there is that balance. Any any tips on keeping that balance? Um, I, I think one tip is just to be aware that uh, of the story we tell ourselves, right? And hmm. um, to carry ourselves as the leader we want to be, uh, to be mindful of what we say and that we're always quote unquote on stage. And, and that's not to say that we're faking it. It's just to say that when in our weakest moments when we're tired or whatever and we say something off the cuff or we're uh, critical of somebody's work on our team or express irritation, you know, the more people admire you as a leader, the more those little statements cut them. And, and I, I, I just remember having to learn to be careful with my word, more careful with my words as my leadership platform, you know, grew. Right. right. Hmm. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. No problem. So let's tell me a little bit. I mean, you've had such success at an early age and how did, did, did you experience some setbacks as well? Humbling moments, setbacks, failures. And, and if so, what was your approach to dealing with those? And do you feel like your early success uh, either prepared you or, or, uh, or did not prepare you for those moments? I don't feel like um, 
success is a great teacher. I have a, a, a quote I like to use from Bill Gates. He says, success is a lousy teacher because it seduces otherwise smart people into thinking they can't make mistakes. Mm. Right? right. And, uh, the truth is, um, success just set me up for education. Right. right. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things that uh, I remember reading after uh, this period of time where it seemed like everything that I did didn't work, right? I, I had this period of time when everything turned up roses and I was this great success story. And I remember my identity, uh, identity was I was a young guy, I was successful, I was sharp. And then I was getting my butt kicked with literally, well, nearly every investment I I was doing was was blowing up in my face. Mm-hmm. And um and I remember having this identity crisis of, all right, can you handle being just the young guy that's not successful, <laughs> you know, because, right. um, and so I, one of the things that you realize when you achieve a dream and then now you're no longer in that same role is you, how much of your identity was wrapped up in what you were. And at a, at a young age, I mean, in, in, you can imagine people don't want to hear you whine about oh, I sold a company for a lot of money and now I don't know what to do with myself, right? <laughs> that, that, that doesn't go over well. And that co- one doesn't co- get the sympathy card, no. No, and, and frankly, and, and then, so people don't talk about it. But the truth is there's two bad things that happen when we get what we're chasing. Uh, uh, well, let me phrase it. One bad thing that happens when we get what we're chasing, which is you can end up saying, oh my goodness, now what? I'm completely unprepared for this. I've, I'm, I'm entering into this life change and I'm not certain about what I am about any longer. So you get this identity crisis. Um, and then you can also discover that you still have this itch that's unscratched. And, and now you've, you've achieved what everybody was telling you was going to make you happy. And you think, holy crud, I'm still not happy. Hmm. Um, that happened to me. The other side of it is, um, you know, when we don't get what we want, we just have these profound disappointments in life. And so, um, you know, what I learned... I learned both of those things. Um, coming off of a sale when I was young, I learned that uh, I still had this dr- just drive to keep chasing, but I didn't have direction on why I was even driven, you know, where, what I was trying to accomplish. And it caused me to have to, you know, ask hard questions about what I believe about wealth and purpose and life in general. And, you know, those were painful times. At the same time, I was having these different failures, which were these profound disappointments. And, um, you know, it really caused me to ask that deeper question, right? All right, what is wrong now? Because uh, this is, I had the golden touch, but now all of a sudden I went into this period where it just felt like nothing was working. And for me, the biggest life change that came out of that season of time was just understanding that where I was driven, that fundamentally I had not been grateful. Hmm. And uh, it really rocked me to, to just look at, I'm like, here's a kid from a commune, right, who did all the wrong things and ended up with all this success and all this freedom and all the, you know, and people perceiving me as this great, wonderful human being. But at the end of the day, I knew that that was kind of this false thing that was set up because I, on the other hand, I knew that I wasn't grateful. I wasn't protecting what I'd been given. And, and, you know, many cases, my, uh, you know, my behavior wasn't lining up with my values and I just kind of had to deal with all that stuff. Well, tell me, you talk sometimes about the practical application of gratitude. And I think this is profound. It's an important, uh, it's something in my own life that, that it's taken me years to learn as well. I'm still learning it. I'm learning from you right now. 
uh, and and it's a similar experience of of working hard towards certain ambitions and goals, and then and then uh, and then seeing how they align with with your values and and how satisfied are you, and do they bring you satisfaction? Talk to me about that practical application of applying gratitude in your life. You know, I've realized that that I drift, right? And so um, I think that people that are ambitious entrepreneurs. Uh, because of their nature, like how they're hardwired and because of the kind of lifestyle and people we surround ourselves with, which I would consider our external influences, right? right. Um, you know, we're all about moving forward and we're all about setting big goals and, you know, going after it. And in the process of doing that, uh, we just lose touch with what's true. You know, we're in the battle and we're fighting and we're, you know, we're doing all that, but we, we lose our, you know, our compass bearings get off. And, and for me, what I discovered is that I needed to get connected to gratitude. And, um, and as a person of faith, I developed this practice. I didn't, wasn't even really formal, but I started calling it a gratitude adjustment instead of an attitude adjustment. Huh. I'm like, I've got to do this gratitude adjustment. And, um, and I began to put some structure around it, which, uh, was, all right, if I'm feeling anxious, if I'm feeling uh, angry and frustrated with life, I would just st stop. And I would say, it's time to do an inventory of what's, what's real here. And I would just think of as a person of faith, I would think about God and the world he created and just let my mind really, you know, sometimes even articulate all of those things that I was thankful for and that I observed um, and it helped me see that I wasn't the one holding this, this thing together, right? And then uh, I would think about my own you know, faith and redemption personally and what that means to me to be somebody that knows that they're forgiven and has some, some sense of you know, eternal security. And I would be really practical about that. I would think about things in my life that I knew that I needed forgiveness for, and I would, I would be thankful the fact that I don't have to carry that around any longer, right? Hmm. And then, I, and then it would get down to what I started calling like my domain, right? What are the areas now that I've got the big things dealt with? I got the fact that, you know, God's in control of this world and I'm not. Um, you know, I've been forgiven and I, will, I live in a place of I don't have to strive to earn approval. Like I've got the ultimate approval, so I don't have to strive for that. And then it really would shift my brain into, okay, now as I look at the areas where I get to do life, where I am a leader, where I'm a participant, where I'm a brother, where I'm a son, the, this domain that I have here on this round earth that's spinning through the world, right? Um, how do I express gratitude for those roles and really think about those as gifts? And then also obligations, like how do I do my job in those areas from this place of gratitude? Like these areas have been given to me to make a difference while I'm here. And, mm -hmm. and so... When I would go through that process, and sometimes, you know, that would take me five minutes. Sometimes it would take me two minutes. Sometimes I wouldn't even get all the way through it, and all of a sudden my attitude is kind of reoriented. And, and for me, that's like a, it's a momentary glimpse of reality. And, and then when I would leave that moment in time, I can go lead differently, right? I go lead from a place of gratitude. And so that's at a practical level you know, that's what I do. And I don't tell people that with this notion that, hey, my gratitude practice is a silver bullet. Huh. But what I do believe is that gratitude and being intentional about bringing gratitude into your life is a silver bullet for, for ambitious people who get off track. I really believe that.
Yeah, that's great. Thanks for sharing that. That leads us into talking about your book a little bit, Ambition Leading with Gratitude. You tackle the plaguing questions of why ambitious people struggle to find satisfaction and reveal what they can do about it. Dan Miller uh, gives a, from the New York Times bestselling author, 48 Days to the Work You Love, says, ambition will show you how to harness your ambition through experience, integrity, and hard work in a way that will leave a positive legacy and improve the world. That's really powerful. And I think a lot of us out there, a lot of the listeners who are extremely ambitious and we, we're proud of it, do sometimes struggle for that satisfaction. Talk to me a little bit about the book. What, what, what are some highlights that we can expect when we read this? Well, you know, what motivated me to write the book was I looked around at people that were doing a lot and running hard, and I kept seeing them self-destruct. And, and I looked at my own life, and I saw how close I was to self-destructing right. at times. And I thought, okay, everybody talks about the upside of ambition, but we don't really talk about the downside risks. Hmm. And... Um, I feel like I'm at a place where I can talk candidly with people. And so I kind of get into that, the psychology of that, right? What does it mean to be ambitious? What are the things we need to uh, look for? What are the implications of being ambitious and kind of talk through that? And, you know, what happens if we actually get what we're chasing psychologically, right? Are we really ready for it? What happens when we don't get what we're chasing? How do we process disappointments? I, I find that much of what we suffer from is these, these disappointments you know, disappointment is tied to expectation. And what I talk about in the book is make, you know, make sure that you have mentors around you that can help you, encourage you, but also help you set realistic expectations. So that as you're chasing these big dreams, they're appropriate dreams for where you're at in life, right? Mm. Many ambitious people are, are uh, very, very impatient, right? Um, right. And so then I, I kind of move into this transition of, all right, now that we understand the downside risks of being ambitious. Let's take a moment and understand the power that gratitude has. One of the lies that ambitious people believe is that satisfaction is found through achievement. And what I've observed, and I think what the science suggests, is that actually satisfaction is found on the other side of gratitude. Hmm. And so that if we want to get to satisfaction and contentment, it comes through this doing the hard work of developing a gratitude practice. And um, gratitude maybe sounds a little squishy to some people. I can assure you it's not squishy, <laughs> right? It's, um, it's actually a very powerful tool, and I would even call it a practice. I don't even think it's a characteristic. I think it's a practice. It's something that doesn't necessarily come natural to ambitious people. Um, but scientists, uh, social scientists, suggest that gratitude has the greatest impact on the people that are least grateful. And I believe that because driven, ambitious people are so forward-looking that we don't often stop to take account of what we have and express thankfulness for, for you know, where we've come from and, and this privilege we have. And, right. and so the, the, probably my favorite part of the book is the, okay, now what? Right? Now, how do I lead with this, this relationship of, with gratitude? And you know, I had this strange moment probably, you know, over a decade ago, 15 years ago, where I was getting ready to do a, a, a speaking engagement. And I, I just had clarity on what I wanted on my gravestone. And what I wanted was he reached for his potential, he impacted his world, and he left a legacy. And so I talk about that as the, the, the framework by which I lead now. And I'll give people three words that'll probably be easier than what I just said. Uh, the three words are me, these and those. And so the me part is all around reaching your potential and committing to grow as a leader. 
And we can only be as big on the outside as we are on the inside, as John Maxwell would say. Right. And, you know, we all want to make a difference in this world. And I would argue that we need to start with me. How do I grow myself so that I have the capacity to be the leader that I want and, and, to, and to reach for my potential, right? The second part is these. So I move from me and if I do a good job with me, now I'm positioned to impact these people that I'm actually in relationship with, right? And those would be my, my, my employees, my family members, you know, in a business, sometimes it's our customers, right? Um, it's, you know, our bankers, it's, there's a certain set of people that get drawn into our life. Those are actually the ones, these are actually the ones that we're best positioned to impact if we have our eyes open and realize that that's our privilege and, and frankly, our duty, right? Hmm. But here's what happens often, Derek, is people that are driven skip that one and they go right to what I would call those. And the those would be, you're trying to reach those people on social media, or you're trying to make a name for yourself, or you're trying to leave a legacy. And so you skip the people that you actually touch because you're trying to reach the people that you don't even know who they are. We don't even know who they are, right? Yeah. But my belief is that if we do it in the right order, we start with me, and then we move to these people that we can impact. Then we move over to those. And if we do the first two properly, we, we earn the privilege of reaching people that we may never meet because our ideas are written down and they can absorb them that way because our, our, uh, the things we build as companies maybe live as, have a legacy. Um, and I think that, that the those part is more around transferring our values you know, over the long run. But um, you know, really it starts with me and it starts with these people that we've been given. And so that's how I think right. about leadership now. When I get stressed out, I think, all right, am I growing? Am I reaching the people that are in my life? And I don't really worry about the people on the outside too much right yeah, now. Yeah, that's awesome. That's that's great. Start with me, the potential to grow as a leader. And you're you're so right. We do a lot of times often skip over these. Yeah. Our families, our vendors, our customers, our employees. Those are the ones that we are uh, have touch points with us on a regular basis, and we can have the most influence over. That's really powerful. And yes, we do skip to those quite often. <laughs> That's, I've not heard quite that perspective on, and I really like that. I, I appreciate you sharing that. I'm glad to share it. And uh, what's what's interesting for me is, uh, you know, writing a book. People are like, you know, what's the hardest part? And I'm like, actually, living up to it is the hardest part, right? <laughs> um, because you have to codify what it is you believe, but also probably one of the best parts is, is it forced me to actually look at it and say, no, this is what I believe. And this is what I want to be known for. And now you got to live up to it. And it's, it's actually liberating on some senses as, as challenging as it is. Hmm. That's great. Anything else you want to share about the book? Just that uh, it's been a real privilege getting great reviews. You know, uh, it's easy for people to get at readambition.com, readambition.com. And um, for those that like, you know, try before you buy kind of people, I've got a uh, free audio chapter and a free written chapter of what I consider to be my favorite chapter. I call it Entrepreneurs in Danger. And it's, it's all about the upsides of certain characteristics, but also the downsides. For instance, you know, we're, uh, we're risk takers, right? And, right. you know, we, we may boldly go where nobody, nobody's gone before. 
but will often overlook sound advice and all the evidence of why we should, why, why we shouldn't go there. And so I really contrast, uh, and that chapter actually came out of a speech I was given to a bunch of entrepreneurs, hmm. and uh, it was really a joy. So um, anyhow, if they go to readambition.com, I've got some good stuff there that they can download for free, and it also gives them an opportunity to uh, purchase the book, and they can get it you know, at all the traditional places like Amazon, and it's at airports around the country and things awesome. like that. Awesome. Readambition.com. You've got a free chapter that we can try out, Entrepreneurs in Danger. You are so right about that as well. I'm I'm really looking forward to reading this book. It is it is a right up my alley on, on learning more about being a better leader. I know that our listeners are going to appreciate it as well. A few more questions for you. T- tell me about what's what's next for you. What's on the horizon for you coming up? You've got a lot going on. Yeah, I just um, committed to something new, which is great. Um, I am uh, stepping into a leadership role with a company called Cathedral Consulting. Mm. And uh, I'm excited about this because uh, Cathedral was the company that helped me grow my business from literally a startup to uh, when we were done, we had uh, you know over six, well, just under $60 million in revenue with about 60 people across the country. Wow. And um I really came to rely on them as a strategic advisor to us at at a board level. And um, through a a, a painful set of circumstances, uh, the guy that founded that company, there was a mentor uh, of mine, um, actually passed away last year. He he had an accident in his his airplane. And um, I was presented with an opportunity to join that team. And uh, it's it's really an honor because Cathedral focuses on – at being a strategic advisor to small business leaders and really has some approaches that are very technical and that bringing this expertise to build to small business owners that they don't normally have access to. You know, when you're a large business, you can go get that specialized expertise, but as a small business, you need people that understand like how it all fits together. Right. Right. And so it's fun for me because uh, we've got offices in Manhattan and New Jersey, and I'm out here on the West Coast. Nice. And so, so I'm beginning to uh, put a plan together for how we, uh, you know, continue to serve our small business clients at Cathedral, and also really, you know, become a recognized leader in that space, which we see as fairly underserved. You know, there's not a lot of uh, groups that are dialed in on how to serve the small business leader. Right. And so we want to, we want to do that really well. And they've been doing it for about a decade. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm honored to have a chance to do that next. Wow. Congratulations on that. We look Thank forward you. to continue to follow you. Seth Bueckley, you guys want to encourage our readers, go out there today, look at uh, readambition.com. It is uh, ambition. Leading with Gratitude, a great book. I'm picking it up today. Seth, thank you so much for being our guest. It's an honor to have you. And we look forward to continuing to follow you and seeing the other great things that are, you're accomplishing out there. Thank you, Derek. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you today as well. You take care. I will. You've been listening to the Business Leadership Series, where we engage with leaders who are making an impact on their worlds and who want to share their knowledge and experience for your personal and professional growth. This interview was designed to inspire you to become the best leader you can be.